you don't know me, my name is Guy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and uh, glad to be back with you. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we've been gone for a few weeks and we've seen grandchildren and done such things. Um, and I, I just have to tell you a really cool story. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm telling you anyway, just because this is a great story. Uh, about three or four weeks ago, I uh, did a sermon here on John 15 and the theme was the joy of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said that he spoke the things he did so that we might know his joy. And we explored the idea, what is the joy of Jesus? And I used an illustration of a man who's 91 years old. His name is Connie. He lives at the same care facility as Maureen's mother, who's 98. And so we had visited him, and he became my illustration of the joy of Jesus in John 15. Because this guy, at 91 years old, every time that I walk in that place, he has a smile on his face, he has his Bible out, he's uh, serving Jesus, he's an amazing guy, so he's kind of like one of my new heroes. And um, we went down and we visited, walked into the care facility, there was Connie, Bible open, smile on his face, and I said, hey Connie, you're such an amazing guy, what are you reading? in the Bible. He said, I'm reading John 15. And what do you think it means? <laughs> and I'm like, it's you. It's about you. you know. And that was just a cool experience. It's so cool to see somebody who at 91 has the joy of the Lord and still sees themselves as a servant of the Lord every day, wherever they are. And he requested prayer, he, and I prayed for him. He said, please pray for me because I want to get out of this place. So that <laughs> He did. He said, I, I need to be able to walk better so that I can go back to my ministry. You know? And I'm thinking, you're already doing ministry right here. But I did pray for him, pray for Connie, and the next thing you know, he might be here. He might be a guest speaker. I don't know. He's a great guy. Last Monday morning at exactly 10.18 a.m., I stood out on the sports field at Black Butte Ranch, and uh, we were out there with a couple hundred other people, kids, grandkids of ours were there, and at 10.18, the shadow of the moon passed over us, traveling at 1,400 miles per hour, and in that moment, we entered into the totality, <laughs> the totality, and it was amazing. And it was 100%. Now, for you 99%ers, you know, God bless you. And I don't want you to be bitter, and I'm not boasting. I'm just saying it's absolutely not the same experience. How many people experience totality? Look at that. You, congratulations, you guys, because you made it all the way into the epicenter of everything significant at that moment. <laughs> Maybe I'm overstating. I don't know. Um, and it was weird because fires were burning. So the Millie fire is burning, and we're actually watching it. It's like the, the mountain is on fire, smoke, there's a huge smoke plume. And smoke had been filtering for a day right in the view, you know, where we were going to be. And I was despairing because I'm like, man, this is the totality. This is my only shot at this thing. And I got smoke. And you know what? We got up the next day, and the smoke had cleared away. And just for a few hours, and it was clear, and then later, the smoke came back. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, for this. It was such a cool thing. Uh, for about an hour, uh, we put on our 
eclipse glasses. A lot of you had those glasses. And you saw the moon begin to slip into the sun, and you watched that, and, and it was a very, very cool experience. If you had been in totality, 100% totality, for 80 seconds where we were, you could take those glasses off and look directly at the sun as the moon covered it and just see the corona of the sun, which was a really amazing experience, and I'm super glad that we were able to experience that. A few days later, we had the grandkids spending the night, and I was able to have a, a talk with my granddaughter, Elliot, and I opened up the Bible to Psalm 19. And I said, hey, you know what? This is what the Bible says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky shows his handiwork. And I said, isn't it amazing what we saw, how the glory of God is really shown in this amazing design that we see out in front of us? And, and I said, you know, some people think that all of that is by accident. Some people think that it, it all just happened by itself, that the whole like universe just came out of nothing. But there's others of us who believe that there's a creator who designed it all, and what we saw was by God's design. I'm going to come back to Psalm 19 a little bit later and that talk that I had with my granddaughter, but it was a beautiful experience. This morning, we're going to start in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and by faith, I believe someone will come and hand you a Bible. I'd love for you to follow along in the Scripture. We're actually going to hop around a little bit in the Scriptures this morning as we continue our series on the theme of the pursuit of holiness. The pursuit of holiness. And you know, I've listened online to uh, the sermons that have been given in the last several weeks, and I just want to go on record as saying how thankful I am for the teaching pastors that we have at our church. And uh, Pastor Adam and Christopher, yeah, I mean, these guys, these guys are amazing. And, um, and I, I personally got so edified by listening to these sermons and what clarity um, and, and profound truth that, that they are bringing. So we're really fortunate as a church to hear those things. And I love the definition that Pastor Adam has given us for this idea of holiness. You know, holiness, um, it's an intimidating word. A lot of people, um, they hear it and they can, they can think negatively right away. It sounds very religious. Um, it maybe sounds holier than thou or something like that. And so people can kind of shy away from that word holy. And I love what, what Adam did when he defined the word holy simply as moving closer to God. Moving closer to God. And that's a great definition. And at the same time, moving away from sin. That's a really simple, easy to remember concept which captures so much of the truth of a really big idea in the Bible. Holiness means moving closer to God. Ever since Adam began this series on the pursuit of holiness, my mind has gone to John 17. There is a phrase in John 17 that Jesus used, and that's where my mind immediately went. And that phrase basically says this, and it's a prayer of Jesus. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And for some reason, that's kind of where my mind went when I thought of the theme of holiness. And I want to explore that prayer of Jesus with you 
this morning. We're going to think it through, and we'll start in John 17. We'll go some other places, and then we're going to return to John 17. I want you to get it in context. So I'm going to read John chapter 17, verses 15 through 19. And I want you to remember, this is a prayer of Jesus, the whole chapter. It's actually the longest recorded prayer of Christ in the Bible. It's the whole chapter 17. And it's at a critical moment because this is after the Last Supper. And it's right before Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be crucified. And um, on the third day, raised again. And so this is the prayer of Jesus where Jesus is actually super concerned about his followers. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for his followers. And he's concerned about some things. So let's... Pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 17. Jesus said, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world. So them is his followers, the disciples. He says, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also might be sanctified in the truth. And we're going to pause there. Now, the Gospel of John is super deep. And this prayer is very deep. It's very intense. It's very personal. It's showing us the heart of Jesus. What is it that Jesus is concerned about? He prays for his followers, but not just for the immediate disciples. He's actually praying for us as well. In fact, if we read the very next verse in 1720, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So who's that? That's us. Jesus is praying for generations of followers of gospel believers of disciples of Jesus Christ and he's concerned and he has something that's very important to him and in these verses that I read what it's really all about is it's about holiness it's about holiness you say well pastor I don't see the word holy there but it actually is there if you look in verse 17 it says sanctify them in your truth the word sanctify is simply the verb form of the word holy. So to be sanctified, that also is a scary word. Sounds sanctimonious to me. You know, what does that mean, sanctified? You know, it simply means to make them holy. Make them holy. Well, I thought a a holy person was a saint, someone in a stained glass window. No, the word holy simply means somebody who is moving toward God, in relationship with God and moving toward God. Now, Jesus is praying for his followers. He says, Father, sanctify them, make them holy in your truth. Your word is truth. Now, actually, what's interesting is the word holy gets used three times. In verse 17 and then twice again in verse 19, we see it. So here it is, kind of a mysterious verse. We're going to come back to it at the end of the message today. 
in verse 19, and for their sakes, I consecrate myself. And that word consecrate is the same exact word. It's the word to make holy. They just used a different English word here. That they also might be sanctified in the truth. And it's the same word, holy. So three times, you know, at the essence of Jesus' prayer, at the essence of his concern, is this matter of holiness. And by holiness, we mean what God wants is he wants his people, the followers of Christ, to be moving towards him in close relationship. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the mind of Jesus. That's the prayer of Jesus. And I want to add to you another idea, and that is that it's also the promise of Jesus. It's his promise. Now, see, when I read the prayer of Jesus, I don't just read it as a prayer. I actually read it as a promise. And here's the reason why. Because I can guarantee that all of the prayers of Jesus are answered. They're all answered. Jesus and the Father, they're of one mind. They're of one accord. They're of one purpose. They're on the same mission together. In fact, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So all of a sudden we realize that there's something going on here. And when Jesus prays, it's actually for our benefit so that we can see into the heart and mind of God. Every time Jesus prays, you get a window into the heart and the mind of God himself. And I actually think because of that, that what you're seeing is not just a prayer, but it actually becomes a promise. In other words, this is what God is doing. This is what God is doing. God's going to do this. God's going to answer this prayer. God is at work in our lives. And you know what that means? That means that God is speaking his word of truth into our lives that we might come closer to God, closer to him in relationship. See, that's what it says, doesn't it? Take a look at 17 and 17. Father, sanctify them, make holy in the truth. Your word is truth. What's the answer to the prayer? How can a follower of Christ come closer to God, closer in relationship? And the answer is through his word of truth. Now, here's God's gift to you. God answers his prayer. And God actually speaks his word of truth into our lives in such a way that it changes our lives. This series is called The Pursuit. The Pursuit, that's the title. And the subtitle is, you know, something about holiness. It's the pursuit of holiness, right? That's what we're pursuing. But if you think about it, it's not just us. It's not just our pursuit. This is what God is pursuing. This is what God wants. This is what God is working at. And it's a beautiful thing. God is speaking his word of truth into our lives in such a way that it will draw us closer in relationship with him. But how does he do that? I'm going to give you this morning three ways that God speaks his word of truth into our lives. And each one of them is a gift. And each one of them has the power to actually change our lives and draw us closer in relationship with God. Here's the first way that God speaks his word of truth into our lives. It's through the beauty and the wonder of the created world. How does God speak 
his word of truth into our lives. First way, the beauty and wonder of the created world. And that brings me back to Psalm 19. So let's go there. If you have a Bible, you can look at Psalm 19. This is the psalm that I read to my granddaughter a few days after the eclipse. And I'm going to read to you the first six verses. And you know what's interesting is, having seen the totality, or 99%, um, reading these verses, I read them in a different kind of perspective now. Psalm 19 in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day unto day pours out speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, where this voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, that's a great passage to begin with, but after you've seen the eclipse, it kind of takes on a new meaning. There we were, looking up to the skies. Now, where we were at Black Butte, they had uh, invited three astronomers to come. And so the night before, they gave a lecture on astronomy and a lecture on the eclipse, and they told us all kinds of fascinating information about it. All, and, and all of us are out there going, that's so cool, that's so amazing. And then the next day, we saw it unfold before our eyes. The sun runs its course. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber rejoicing, or like a strong man running a race, like in a circuit, right across the sky. You know, I don't pay all that much attention to the sun normally. You just sort of take it for granted, don't you? <laughs> you just go out there and it's like, oh, the sun. Of course, around here we don't see it all that much, but... Um, <laughs> Even, even on a sunny day, I mean, it's like you don't, you don't just look at the sun and go, well, look at the sun. You, just, you don't even look at the sun. We're just sort of trained not to see it. But because of the eclipse, I actually got up the day before and I was trying to find the sun through the smoke. It's like, where is it going to come and where is its circuit? Where will it be at 10.18 a.m.? i got to check this out. I want to have a good view of the sun. And I realized how incredibly powerful the sun is. Did you notice that during the eclipse? It's so amazing because even, you know, you put on those glasses and you see the moon start to slide in. And even when the moon was halfway, it's still so bright out. And you, you feel the heat, but the temperature starts dropping. It says here, nothing's hidden from its heat. One of the most profound experiences in the eclipse was the drop in temperature. Like you go, wow, it's getting colder and colder and colder. And, but you know what's weird? Even when there's just a tiny sliver left of the sun peeking out around the moon, there's still light. There's still so much light. You go, how can that be? It's just, there's nothing there, just a fraction. Then comes the totality. 
The shadow of the moon rushes at 1,400 miles an hour across the landscape. And you're thrust into kind of not really complete darkness, but you can see stars out there. And it's cold, and you realize the power of the sun. Isn't that amazing? Now, the Bible says God's talking to you. This is the speech of God. This is the word of God. This is how God speaks into our lives, is through the creation itself. It's telling us of the glory of God, how amazing God is. The Bible says, look up, check it out. Here's one of the greatest things that I saw all week. I saw a photo of a bunch of people, like a thousand people or something, looking up with those glasses at the sun. And I'm thinking, praise God, everybody's forgotten politics for an hour. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what's it going to take? You know, I guess an eclipse. And everyone is looking up, like a whole nation looked up and went, oh, wow. Oh, wow. There's something bigger than even what's going on. It's just amazing. And, and God is talking to us. And God is saying, I'm there. I'm your maker. I'm your creator. I've designed all of this. So the astronomer, he gave his lecture and he held up a little styrofoam ball or something. He goes, this is the earth. It's six inches across. And he stands there with it. He handed like a golf ball to a guy. He goes, go over there 15 feet, hold it up. So, you know, he's here with the six inch earth. There's a golf ball 15 feet away. And then he says, this is not exactly to scale, but sort of. <laughs> he says, now imagine one mile away, further out, is the sun, and the sun is 50 feet across, a mile away. And somehow, precisely, exactly, the size of the moon, the scale of the moon to the sun and the earth, when it goes across, that little golf ball is going to completely blot out the light of the sun from this planet, which is amazing. Everyone said it's amazing. And you know what happened? A kid in the crowd raised his hand because he was taking questions. And this kid says, I have a question for you. He said, what do you think the chances are that that would just happen by chance? Now, you know, it's probably a Christian kid, and he, he's heard the thing, you know, about how God designed all this perfectly, you know, for the eclipse. And, of course, the astronomer, he knew exactly what the kid was saying, too. So did I. And uh, I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting. So the kid says, yeah, I mean, isn't it amazing? Like, what would be the chances that, that it just was lined up perfectly that, by chance? And the astronomer said, the chances would be really, really small. And he said, isn't it amazing? Lucky chance, lucky us. That was his response. Lucky chance, lucky us. Because there's a conclusion that's wrapped up in that. And that conclusion is, is that I don't want to see that design. I don't want to see that. I don't want to acknowledge that. But the Bible says God is talking. God is speaking to us through the things of creation. And we're either going to look at that and acknowledge that or we're going to deny that. But we kind of have to make a choice about that in our lives. How does God speak to us his word of truth in such a way that it draws us unto him. The first way is through the beauty and the design of nature itself. And how do we respond? How should we respond? Are you listening? Because a Christian responds by worshiping, by acknowledging, by humbling ourselves, by giving thanks to our creator. That's the starting place. 
And that's holiness. Because we, we turn and we face God and we move toward him in gratitude, our creator. And we say, we want a relationship with you. The second way that God speaks his word of truth into our lives in such a way that draws us to him is through his written word of scripture. This is the second way. In fact, we don't even have to leave Psalm 19 to find it. It's right here in Psalm 19. So just keep reading. Psalm 19 and verse 7. Notice how it turns a corner. Like immediately we're onto the creation and then boom. New subject. Or is it? 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. He changed subject. Well, maybe he didn't change subject. He, he tweaked it. He moved from the theme of God's word of truth in the creation to the theme of God's word of truth in Scripture. So that in Psalm 19, what we have is sort of a piling on of synonyms from Hebrew Bible for the written word of God. The precepts, the testimonies, the statutes, all of these words, which all of them are saying, this is God's revealed written word. Now, I'm telling you that these three different ways that God speaks his word of truth into our lives are all connected. If we start with his word that's revealed and that speaks to us through the creation itself, that's good, but it's not good enough. Why? Because it doesn't really give us that much information about God. We need something more. And if we're going to get more than just knowing that God is big and he's amazing and he's a great designer he's made a beautiful universe, then we're going to have to have him talk to us. And that's what he does in his word of scripture. So he speaks his word to us that we might know who he is. And Jesus says, Father, sanctify them through your truth, the truth, and your word is truth. Which word is he talking about? Well, I know for sure he's probably talking about the message of creation, but I think for sure he's talking about the message of the Bible. He's talking about the message of Scripture. See, God is speaking to us. It's a gift. It's his gift to us that we might know him. The creator says, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I'm giving you my word. Open, read, think, pray, meditate. In fact, that's exactly what the Bible says. Take a look at Psalm 1. Another psalm which should be well known, a very famous psalm, and I encourage you to memorize Psalm 1. Memorize Psalm 1. It's six verses long. You can do it. Six verses. It might take you six months. You could do it. Six weeks. You could do it. Memorize Psalm 1. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And the word law is another synonym for the written word of God in the Old Testament. The Torah, God's written word. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. God's talking to us. He does it through his written word. And now we're put on alert that there's actually other voices that are speaking into our lives. God's word of truth has competition. And so he says, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the way with sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the cynics. Why does he have to say that? Because God's word of truth actually has a lot of competition. Many voices are speaking into your life. He says, don't, don't sit in the seat of the cynics. I think cynicism is one of the great defining factors of Western culture in the postmodern world. Does that make sense? Have you ever heard we live in a post-truth world? We live in a post-modern, post-truth, post-Christian, post-everything world, right? And another, you know what another word for that is? Cynicism. Cynical about everything. Cynical about truth. Cynical that we can never make sense of anything. Cynical that there's any truth greater than an individual perspective. And all of that is another voice that's speaking to us, and it's not the voice of God. Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. He didn't say your word is just one perspective amongst many. Take a pick. Nobody knows for sure. That's not the way this works in the Christian life. There are many voices out there. And God gives a gift of the word and he says, now, this is my gift for you. As you meditate on the word, as you take it in and let it fill your heart and mind, you're going to find that you're drawn closer in relationship with me. So he says that this man or this woman, that they meditate day and night in God's word. Meditate. How do we respond? I see God's word in creation, his truth of his created world, and I respond by giving thanks and worshiping. I see and hear God's word in scripture. How do I respond? By meditating on the word and asking God to help me to respond to it from my heart. And I draw closer to God. That's the way this works. How do you do it? You should do this in your life. You know, I mean, we have to flip off some devices to do this, right? <laughs> because we always have something going that's distracting us. Turn off the devices and open the Bible, read a chapter. You could start with Psalms. You could do the Gospel of John. Here's a, something that I've done in my life. It's been very helpful to me. I'm going to give you just a little formula, all right? There's lots of ways to do this. This is one thing that I do. I call it reading the Bible and then reading your life. It's very simple. Get a piece of paper, draw a line across the middle. And on the top half of the paper, you read the Bible. Let's say you read Psalm 1 or Psalm 2. And you're simply observing, you're reading, you're, you're asking questions. What is this about? Write down some themes. 
What does it show me about God and who God is? Write it down in that box on top, top of the page. Is there anything here that is a promise from God that I can claim? Write it down. Just read the passage. Is there something in here that is a sin that I am to avoid or repent of? Write it down. All you're doing is you're reading that passage and you're just writing down what you see. Okay, do that for a few minutes. And now change gears and I want you to read your life. How do you read your life? The same way you read the Bible. You just observe. You just look at it. What's going on in my life? You could do it by the day or by the week. You could say, hey, what's going to happen in my life today? Who am I going to be meeting with? How do I feel about them? Am I anxious? Am I angry with that person? Is it, do I have joy in my heart? Am I looking forward to it? What's happening? What are my challenges in my life today? Write down some themes. Just write down some stuff. What am I struggling with in life? Write it down. You know, once you start reading your life, it gets real interesting. You just pay attention just to write some things down. But now here's where it all comes together. Now you've read the Bible and you've read your life. Now you connect those two things by prayer. Is there something from the top box where I've read something in God's Word that I can connect to something on the bottom box that I've read about my life? Surely there's something. And the more connections I can make, the more ways I have to pray. I'm meditating and I'm praying God's Word into my life. And you know what happens? Sanctified in the truth. His Word is truth. And God is drawing you into relationship with Himself. Isn't that beautiful? That's the way it works. There's a third way that God speaks his word of truth into our lives. And the third way is the culmination of everything. And the third way is Jesus Christ, who is the word of God made flesh. Now we go back to the Gospel of John. Boy, we're getting like a Bible tour today. This is crazy. John chapter 1. All right. Stick with me. And... We're going to look at John 1, and then we're going to go back to John 17, where we started. I'm going to read just four verses from John chapter 1. And as I do, I want you to connect everything that I've just said to you about creation and about the Creator and about uh, God's Word. Let's read John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And now let's skip to verse 14, where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. Father, sanctify them in the truth. But what is the truth? What is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. But what is the word? Is it God's message in creation? Yeah. Is it God's message in the scriptures? Yeah. But all of that, you know where all that points? 
All that points to Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. Think about it. God's talking to us. He's talking to us in Jesus. His Son, He came into the world. And the Bible says, and this is very mysterious, it says that in the beginning was with God and He was God. And all things were made through Him. He's the creator. I mean, the creation, it's all there. And he became flesh, just as the scriptures promised in the Old Testament. Jesus is the message. Jesus is God's word of truth, par excellence, the highest level, the pinnacle moment in the revelation of God. In other words, what God is saying to you and to me, what is he saying to us? He says it ultimately in Jesus who is God's truth. And I think that when Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth, I think Jesus is, is like capturing all of that. And he's talking about himself and he's talking about the gospel. Now, when you see God's word of truth in creation, you respond with gratitude and worship. And we surrender our lives to him. We seek him. When we see God's word of truth revealed in the scriptures, we read and we study and we pray and we meditate and we try to understand. And we see God's word of truth spoken to our hearts and our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. How do we respond? We believe. We trust. We invite Christ into our hearts to be our living Lord and Savior. And now, because Jesus makes a way, now we're able to have a relationship with God the Father. Now let's go back to John 17 and let's end where we began. I want to talk about the mysterious verse, John 17, 19. This one's a little mysterious, but we'll have to kind of work it out and think about it. John 17, 19. Jesus said, And for their sake... I consecrate myself that they also might be sanctified in the truth. So we have to wrap your head around this. The word holy gets used twice. For their sake, I consecrate myself. It's the word holy. It's the verb form of holy. So he's like, I'm making myself holy. But you say, well, wait a minute. I thought holiness is about moving towards God. But how can Jesus move towards God? Because you know, he is God. It said it in John 1.1. I mean, he is God. He is one with the Father. It doesn't make sense that he has to move towards God. Jesus didn't have to turn away from sin because the Bible says he had no sin. So how does it apply? For their sake, I consecrate myself that they truly might be made holy in the truth, Jesus says. And I believe Jesus has to be talking about the cross. He has to be talking about his mission to go to the cross to die for our sins. Because though Jesus didn't have to move towards God in a sense, but he had to fulfill the mission and the purpose of the Father for his life. He had to submit his life perfectly to this task of going to the cross. And Jesus is saying, I'm going all the way. I'm 100% committed to this relationship with the Father and to this plan of redemption, of salvation for the world. I'm 100% going to do it. 
Why? So that you and myself, that we might be sanctified truly. And the only way that can happen, the only way we can really come to God is through the cross. It's through Jesus going all the way to the cross. And do you know that the cross is considered in theology land as the greatest revelation of the truth of God in all history, in all the universe. It's the cross that reveals the heart of God, the plan of God, the mind of God, the love of God, the truth of God. It's the cross. This is what's distinctive about our Christian faith. And it's a gift from God. So that holiness becomes a joy. Some people think, well, that sounds tedious, like a list of things I can't do or something like that, holiness. But the person who gets the gospel, they say this is the greatest gift and the greatest joy ever because you know what it means? It means God loves me this much and he has so much for me that he did this for me. And so I'm going to give myself to God. And boom, that's what holy really means in the gospel. It's so beautiful. I know it's a big idea. Today we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to come to the Lord's table. And, um, and this is part of our worship. And I want you to think about this. The Lord's table, what we call communion, is done in remembrance of Christ and his sacrifice for us. So that moment of Jesus' full commitment at the cross is being symbolized here. The bread represents the body of Christ given for us, and the cup represents his blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is all about the cross. When you come to the table, you come in faith. So it's an expression of our faith in Christ. If you'd like to express that faith by doing this, then you come up and take a piece of bread, take the cup, and I'm going to ask you just to hold on to them, and I'm going to, after the first time, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray with you. But I want you to think about it. Having heard everything that you've heard this morning, you know, you can't come to this table without a sense of awe and mystery and an idea, you know, God's talking to me. He's talking to you this morning. He's talk he has something to say to you. What do you think about that? What might the Lord be saying to you? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word of truth. Thank you for talking to us, for speaking to our hearts. Thank you that you care that much. Thank you that you haven't left us, Lord, um, wandering in chaos and darkness, trying to figure out truth by ourselves. Because if you did, Lord, then surely we would be the cynical too. Save us from cynicism, Lord. Save us from the world, from so much, Lord. Let us now be centered in the reality of our Creator, our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.